Welcome to this week's ATP podcast, which has a distinctly red hue to it. Yes, the ATP tour is on to the red clay for the next 10 weeks or so, with the first three tournaments of the main clay court season taking place this past week in Estoril, Marrakesh and Houston. And all are on red clay, not the dark green clay that's often used in North America. Hi there, I'm Chris Bowers and over the next few weeks we'll be slipping and sliding across some of the world's best clay court venues like Barcelona, Madrid, Rome and Paris, dusting the orange powder off our socks as we go. Coming up in this week's podcast, we ask a selection of top players what they expect from the clay court season. We talk to a man who last year sat within one victory of the world number one ranking, but he was in rehabilitation at the time from a horrible injury. We talk to the top 30 player who's spending a lot of his time providing a rescue service for abandoned animals. And we get the inside story on a new arrival in the top 50 from his fitness coach. With the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters taking place this coming week, let's start with the man who reached the quarterfinals in Estoril last week and was runner-up in Monte Carlo last year, the Spaniard Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. The beginning of the precision, I was like, I said with my I said with my team and I was like I want this what we have to do to go to that point that I want and we were discussing talking maybe all the morning and after that we we start working uh, mentality was three three days per week we physically two times uh, each day so two times per day tennis two times per, per day, you know, was like, I don't want to focus on other things. I want to practice and finish practice. I want to go dinner and sleep. <laughs> what exactly did you do mentally that changed on those three times per week? Obviously, it's, it's more off-court, you know, it's not on-court that we were working. Just... um more things that it's my in myself the the fear that I had when I was a kid the 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 tense moments when I when I have the match and maybe it's turn around and when I had the match and for example it's turn around and it's going to the to the to the opponent mm. it's it's not easy. Are there things other than working on the mentality, of course, and physical? Are there things off the court that have your that you're interested in that help maybe take your mind off tennis occasionally that help you be able to focus even more on the court? Yeah, for example, maybe some players they they focus twenty four hours tennis. Me, for example, uh, I don't like. For example, I have my my foundation for the animals. Yes, can I, you talk about that? I'm excited about that. Yes, well, we started uh, after quarantine. Uh, I had that plan that I wanted to to help all the animals as possible in Spain because after quarantine, we're like 45% more of abundance. We are like the number one in in Europe with more abundance and so sad when I I read that, but uh, with my team we were working what we what we can do, and there was not a like a portal of adoptions in anim you know, on animals in Spain. Then we want to to create it, and you know we are like a mediation with the shelters and with the who wants to adopt, 
and we have that the people can donate for the shelters and we are uh, the foundation too and basically is that it's incredible it makes me so happy yes. i'm an animal lover Yes. Um, has that number decreased since you started that? Because you started that, what year, 2020, right at the... Two, 2020, yes, we started. Uh, but it was not like officially. Officially it was after the Monte Carlo 2021. No, 22. Okay. Last year. Last year, yeah. Yes. And how's it been going? Have, has... Well, uh, we end this year, we end 22 with 50 shelters. And now in two months, uh, there are 30 more. There we are 80 and a lot of animals. Maybe in one shelter, there are 500 animals. That's amazing. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, do you have pets yourself? I have four cats. Four cats. Okay. Four cats because I cannot. What have are their a, names? Have a, Baloo I was the first one. Uh, Tito, Nala, and Liu. Okay. To. Two men and two two boys and two girls. And two girls. And babies on the way, probably. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, you were saying because you can't have dogs. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, because the players, we are traveling a lot. Oh, right, of course. We cannot afford yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But for sure, when I retire, I will have a house, a big house with a lot of dogs and cats. Yes, yes. Um, how when you get to go home? How is it when you get to go home? Obviously, you work on your foundation, but what is a time? What does time off look for look like for you when you get to go back home? Well, I I mostly I enjoy to be at home. Just I have the practice obviously in the morning. I have the physio at the afternoon, but mostly I wanted to stay at home or just to go to some restaurants to have a dinner, but nothing special. You know, we have a lot of travels and. We always go around the world and it's when we are home for me it's like like a restart. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard you like to cook, is that right? Yes, I love it. Favorite dish? Uh, well my girlfriend is from Italia, then I cook very well the pasta with carbonara and yeah. No uh amatriciana um no, I will not it say. It sounds amazing already. Yes. Yes, yes. And she was like, you you look like Italian. You cook like she Italian yeah. now. Okay. One last thing I want to ask about your superstition. Of your, I know you've been asked about it before, your socks. The odd socks? Yes. One black one, one white one. Yes. Well, I'm curious what you do at Wimbledon. Well, I can, I can, but in Wimbledon, uh, we put like a tape. In the, um, for example, this a line mm-hmm. on the on top of the socket, and we put a tape. That's white, yeah. And another one, okay. don't tape. So they come out. Why? Why the one black, one white? And when did that start? It starts maybe when I had 16, 17 years old. I don't know why I started. Maybe I won that match, and f- from there I just keep going. Mm-hmm. That's all. Okay, and it's just been that's it ever since. Yes. Okay. Yes, like. And it's just to be a, a little bit different. Yeah. Tour, yeah. I like it. I think yeah. it looks cool. I don't know why we have to wear always the black and yeah. black uh, black and black or white and white. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're so happy for you. I for I love the energy that you bring to the court. You're so Thank much you. fun to watch. So really fun. Thank you so much for taking the time for Thank the ATP podcast and best of luck. Thank you. Yeah.
Jill Kraber's talking there with Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, and I suspect when she turned the microphone off, she'll have been straight down to the nearest kitchen and getting him to rustle up some pasta with a special sauce. He does sound like a true all-rounder, doesn't he? Coming up next, we have Richard Connolly meeting the physical trainer of a player who's been in action on the courts in Morocco this past week and who's also made significant progress up the Pepperstone ATP rankings. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. I have with me Sebastian Van Bentum, who is the fitness trainer of Talon Greek Sport, a player who really has made some significant strides over the last couple of years. And I wonder if the gentleman opposite me has uh, a good deal to do with that. Sebastian, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the ATP podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome. It's a great pleasure. But I want to take you back to the start of his particular journey because as we speak he's inside the top 50 when you joined him he was outside the top 150 in the world so it, you must have been on quite a ride these last couple of years yeah this is uh, this is a special moment the first tournament uh, on the challenger tour that i did with him was a challenger in bratislava outside it was a tryout of course where this is how the, these things goes like that so we did a two-week period and uh yeah, our first challenger, he won in Bratislava. And uh, after that, uh, he said, you can stay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 2021 was a great ride for Talon. He uh, eventually won eight challengers, uh, I think five in a row on three different surfaces. So uh, that was the beginning of, uh, of a special rise of him. And he ended up uh, that year in the top 100. So he could play in 2022 uh, all the big tournaments. Sounds like in the space of two weeks, you made quite an impact. I don't know how much credit you could take for that first win in Bratislava. Um, but what did you find when, when, when you turned up? What does a, what does a player in, in that kind of area in the world rankings look like? Well, first of all, his tennis coach reached out to me uh, with the question, we need not a, not a player who's more explosive or more speed. We want him to be available for at least 25 tournaments a year. And that was the problem with, with Talon. He, he, he was a, he's a really explosive guy, really strong, 90 kilo, pure muscle. But he was not always available for tournaments. And you can be the best in the world, but if you're not available for tournaments, you have injuries or yeah, it could be anything, you, you cannot win points. And so the big question was, can you get him a stable fitness level? that he is uh, be able to play 25 tournaments a year uh, and at least three tournaments in a row. And uh, after we start working, that, that worked out really well the, for the first, first 2021 season because yeah, he, he won a lot of matches in a row. Uh, I, I think he won like 28 matches in a row. So for the tennis coach, my job was uh, successfully uh, succeed. Why did they get in touch with you? Give us an idea about your background. Well, his, his tennis coach at that time, Dennis Genk, uh, I, I used to know him from the Tennis Federation, the Dutch Tennis Federation. I worked there for nine years. Uh, at that time, we worked with different other Dutch players like Robin Haas, Timo de Bakker, some Dutch girls. And um, when I left the Federation after nine years, I, I still kept contact with him. Uh, also about Talon, you know, because Talon is a little bit out of my region. So where I live, he also lives in Amsterdam, around Amsterdam. So it was always like texting, like a good job, but never with Talon, only with Dennis. And then um, 
I was working at a football club in Rotterdam, <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Well, the uh, football club yeah. in Rotterdam. Mm. Um, uh, he reached out to me and said, do you know someone who's be able to travel with Talon, like a physiotherapist or a strength and conditioning coach to help him to find his, his basic fitness level a little bit, bit better? Uh, and that was the time that I said, maybe for me after five years it's good to come back in tennis how would you like if i do it myself was that what he was secretly hoping you would say i don't know but <laughs> the question was do you know someone and i can also be that one <laughs> so uh, in the end uh, we had this tryout period in bratislava and and this is the way i know uh, the the reason why i know this team how difficult was it to come on in the middle of a year? Because uh, he was up and running at yeah. that point, wasn't it? Yeah. So, how, I mean, you don't have much time to affect a pre-season no. or anything like that. What kind of change can you make in, in a short period? Yeah, well, first of all, you, you, you join a player uh, to his tournament. And the first working day, I said to him, how did you do it in the past when you travel with a, with a fitness coach? And then he told me, this is, this is my first time ever I, I travel with a fitness coach. So I told him, okay, can you show me your warm-up and then, then we go from there. He said, well, actually, I'm, I'm paying you this week, so I want you to do my warm-up. I said, okay, you want to jump just in the, in the deep straight away. He said, yeah, I would like that. Just do what you think is best for me and I will follow. So from that day on, uh, we start working and we never uh, looked back uh, to what he did. We just, we just knew the, did this new vibe. Yeah. And, and clearly when you have good results straight away, that must have formed a bond between you and the player very quickly, which is extremely useful. Yeah, of course, after that first week win, the buy-in was unbelievable. Uh, he said, it must be working, I'm feeling good, um, uh, so let's continue, you know, I, I don't want to lose this feeling. I mean, Presumably the reality is that at 150 in the world, you're not frankly earning enough money to pay for a full-time physical trainer. How many guys at challenger level are able to call on that kind of expertise? Yeah, I, that's still something really special. Uh, Talon uh, really did invest in his career because he was having two tennis coaches at that time, Dennis Schenk and Raymond Sluiter, and they both do a part-time job. And then he added me to the team as, a, as like an extra fitness coach full-time. So he really invested all his earning money uh, to his career and it paid out straight away. But I can imagine that for other players, it must be difficult to keep their head up. Yeah, and, and for you, I guess that that is a sign of a loyalty and a devotion if you're leaving a full-time job that you had with a big football club to come and work with a player who's using every last penny yep. to pay for you, you know that he's serious, right? Yeah, true, uh, straight away. Uh, I knew that already from some people uh, who have been working with him in the past, so tennis coaches, but also the fitness coach from the, from the Tennis Federation. So yeah, he, he was aiming for much more than the Challenger Tour. He wanted to go higher. What's it been like then, making the jump from the challenges to the bigger events and then suddenly finding yourselves... I mean, he'll have had a big flavour of this from, from what he'd achieved before, but to be around the big guys at the Masters 1000 events, the 500s, and seeing the teams and the people, was it an adjustment for you as well as for him? 
For me, not not really. Of course, the the big tournaments they have big facilities. You know, you have your ice baths at all the Grand Slams. You have your your gyms everywhere, so you don't have to travel with a lot of equipment. But um, I think Talon had a had a difficult year in 2022 uh, to adjust. He had some tough tough losses. He started the season really well in Australia, um, but in the end, he didn't didn't fall out of the top 100. So for your first year on the on the full time on the ATP tour, he did actually for me pretty well. He had some injuries um, on his neck that that was difficult to explain. He missed like five tournaments because of that. We didn't know where it came from. We didn't know how to solve it. There was a problem. He had two times COVID. He missed he missed a couple of tournaments. So it was a difficult year. And yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about 2023 already, but uh, yeah. Well, 2023 has started well um, because he's already on the board with a victory at tour level in, in Pune. And and you were there amidst changes to his coaching team. So do tell us the story about how it's worked out. Yeah, that uh, that started out. Yeah, the, the 2023 season started amazing. Um, it, it started a little bit earlier. He had a breakup with his tennis coach, Raymond Sluiter, in the, in the preseason, beginning of December. Um, after that, uh, his tennis coach Dennis Genk came t- from Mallorca, where he's living, to help him in the preseason tennis coaching, in the tennis training. But he had a long holiday planned already, so there was a little bit of a problem because Dennis couldn't come to the trip of India and Australia, and Talon was not ready uh, with finding a new tennis coach. So th- at that time. Uh, he said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to India and to Australia with you alone." And uh, how did you feel about that? I, I, f- I felt not a bigger responsibility or anything, but it was okay. It was okay. It was his choice. That was the main, the main, and the biggest uh, thing. He should make the decision. He could hire a tennis coach for for a shorter amount of time. Um, but in the end, he during the December he he got an agreement with his old coach from where he worked in the past, Christoph Fliege, and uh, so he know when he left to Australia and to India that uh, he has a coach waiting for him for starting the first of February. Things went very well when it was just uh, you and Talon in Pune, didn't you? Because they you won the tournament together. I mean, again, it, it went it went really well. And and one of the things that we've noticed this week is that you often are. A hitting partner for him as well as the fitness trainer um, so was that particularly useful on that trip when it was just you and him um, I know he's he's listening this interview so I cannot take credits for this no uh, he, he's always playing with with another player or he's playing with a hitting partner but in the end if there's nobody around if you come further than the than the quarterfinals it's it's heavier and tougher to to find someone to play with and actually in Pune, we didn't play a lot. He even warmed up before his final with Benjamin Bonsi, so that's pretty rare also. But they're they're on a good relationship. Um, but in Australia, I, I do I did play a lot with him. Uh, but that, that's his choice. He knows he's got me as a backup. But uh, there's always a better option. That's <laughs> <laughs> very modest. I, I've seen him getting his phone out and videoing, videoing you hitting the ball sometimes. I mean, in all truth, you. You have played to a pretty good level, have you not? Mm, yeah, I, I've played on national level. And the reason why he's filming me, that's because my forehand is, in his eyes, not so good. So there are a lot of tennis coaches who are trying to fix my forehand. 
but in the end, uh, it's about his tennis and his career. But uh, the most important thing is that uh, you know the vibe is very good in the team. We're enjoying uh, when he's playing with me. He's relaxed. You know, he can he can do what he wants. He can stop me anytime. He can he can do a drill in between. He can say to me, hit 100 serves. Uh, I want to return only. And if sometimes if you uh, make an agreement with another player, you also have to do a little bit what the other player wants. Yeah. So it's not easy uh, always. Give us an idea how much he's come on physically in two years that you've worked together. What what's the big change that you've seen that you've been able to bring about? What are you most proud of? Well, I think his uh, his availability for tournaments. Uh, he's he's be able to play a lot of weeks uh, in a row, and uh, that for me that's really important because this guy is 26. He's big. He's strong. He's fit. He can do a good running sessions, good strength sessions. But the end in the end, it's about playing tournaments and. Uh, we find a way, we find a routine of daily work, of a daily warm-up. Uh, we do our daily, uh, our daily work in the morning, we do our recovery session. We try to uh, hit all the boxes and I think that's really important for Talon. So it's, it's more about good habits than it is about actual change. His core is not stronger, for example, than it was or his leg muscles aren't stronger than, than they were. It's just about doing the right things at the right time. Yeah, I, I, I think when you're doing your daily work and you you um, you plan your sessions really well so you're you're in, you're far away from home you're checking out okay you lost first round then we can do a little bit of more uh, footwork on the court or we do a little bit more of running sessions because we're further away from our next game but what do you do when you're in a tournament and you're still in the tournament and since the moment that we started we just increased the the moments of working not the volume but more the moments and uh, he seems to have uh, a, a good feeling about this must also be a nice thing for his confidence to know that he's doing the right thing at the right time and that must give him strength mentally yeah i think so i it's uh, maybe a bit corny to say but he never said no to a session because he's got the feeling this is going to help me this evening and uh, he, he, he doesn't ask me how long is this session going to take he just does his thing and from that time he, it gives him so much confidence it all contributes to what looks like a, a terrific team environment um, can you share with us any goals that you've got for, for the rest of 2023? I mean, it, it, it feels like things are moving in the right direction as we speak. But um, what are you hoping for? What would be a good year for, for, for the team? I hope he ends up in top 30, being be able to play 25 tournaments this year without uh, big injuries. And uh, yeah, let's aim for that top 30. <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure it's possible. Um, one last thing. On match night, do you get a, a kick of adrenaline out of it about being there in his team and about giving him energy and, and contributing to his mood in some way? You are very much a part of the team when it comes to, to tennis matches. Yes, of course. Uh, it, in the end, it all uh, goes around the matches, you know. So that's the moment we're waiting for. You know, you do your preparations, you do your, your, your trainings, but the match is the moment where we're living for. And yeah, I, I'm sometimes... Uh, really excited. Uh, Talon sometimes <laughs> says to me also relax a bit more but in the end yeah I, I would like to give him an extra hand from the side and, uh, and help him with my motivational uh, claps and uh, cheering. If it helps him uh, a percentage I will give it to him.
Sebastian van Bentum, thank you very much for talking to us on the ATP podcast. Thank you so much. What a lovely man. And he was talking with Richard Connolly. And you can hear an extended version of that conversation, including more about the work Sebastian did for the Rotterdam team Feyenoord in the Dutch Football League, this coming Wednesday on the ATP podcast channel. And Greek sport was a quarter-finalist in Marrakesh this past week. It's amazing how so much in today's tennis comes back to fitness. You can be the best ball striker in the world, but if your body can't stand the rigours of the tour, it'll do you no good. That's why fitness trainers have such an important role in today's tennis world. Fitness, or to be more precise, the return to it, also plays a big role in our next interview. Ten months ago, Sasha Zverev was embroiled in an absorbing marathon semi-final at Roland Garros against Rafael Nadal. Nadal had taken the first set on the tie-break after saving four set points, but Zverev was matching him. On the shot he hit to take the second set into the tie-break, after over three hours of play, the German turned his ankle, did severe damage to his ankle ligaments and missed the rest of the year. Seb Lozier caught up with Zverev and asked him what's different about being back on the tour after a six-month break caused by such a painful injury. Yeah, I mean, I've been on tour for 10 years now, so... <laughs> I've, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of been a break, you know. I've been injured, not dead. So uh, I've not been reborn again or something like that. It's, it's still the same old me and I still need, want to win these kind of tournaments and I'm still going to do everything I can to, to do so. How much better do you feel after a few wins? Because I think people can probably take for granted how tough it is after that length of time out yeah, to I get think, back. I think uh, you, you see it again and again, you know, after injuries, how, how long people struggle for. I think you can see it with, with Dominic a bit now. Uh, he's been struggling for a while. You could see it with Andy when he first had his hip issues. He was struggling for, for a long time as well. So it takes time and I'm, I'm happy that I'm uh, I'm on the right path I'm happy that I'm playing the way I'm playing already and um, yeah hopefully I'm, I'm able to to compete for big titles again well you mentioned you've been on tour for so long has the time away changed your approach your attitude to the tour at all I think you start appreciating it a bit a bit more again because uh, you know when you're there and when you're in this in the circle every day uh, you forget how, how special it is actually and how special it is playing in front of 20,000 people how special it is to to play the biggest uh, names in, in sport so um, yeah I definitely appreciate my time on court now and uh, hopefully you know I can have some fun and I can win some matches here you were pretty close to being number one as well when you know before yeah, thanks you got for reminding injured. me yeah, how, how much does it change the way you set the targets now yeah as you said i was very close to being one number one i need to win one match in three months uh while i was injured but uh, unfortunately i was injured so um yeah without without the injury i think i would have been world number one but um you know things happened the way they happened and you know you can't look back at it with regret because at the end of the day i was um, I was playing one of the best players in the world of all time and I was playing the best player on that particular court. So, you know, I was, I was chasing my dream. So it didn't happen during a stupid accident. It happened on court. So um, I had to accept that in a way. That was Sasha Zverev sounding very relaxed. And who knows, maybe once he's fully back into his groove, he may well come to benefit from the time off following that awful turning of his ankle at Roland Garros 10 months ago. Finally, with the tour back on clay, the team at ATP Uncovered decided that was as good a reason as any to take a sample from a number of leading players about the clay season and what comes to mind when tennis thoughts turn to the red stuff. See if you can guess the voices. First thing that comes to mind when you think of the clay season. Dirty socks. My first laugh. Grind. 
Rafael Nadal. Who do you think will have the most successful clay court season this year? I would say Carlos. Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz is the champion in Madrid. Stefanos Tsitsipas. Simply outstanding. It's back-to-back -back titles for the young Greek. Oh, well, I'm going to say Rafa. The most natural thing to say would be Rafa. Like the last 458 years. Rafael Nadal. Total domination. But, you know, I would definitely like to see myself have the best clay season. Who do you think will be a dark horse across the clay season? I'll go maybe for Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul. He's playing unbelievable. He has won Roland Garros in juniors. Same as Australian Open, uh, finals Acapulco. If there is a guy to do well on the surface, that is probably him. I don't know if Holger Rune. Holger Rune. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> no, no, I'll just take it as a compliment. I think that Yannick Sinner could do some damage out there. Uh, Alcaraz brother. This family is... Uh, <laughs> you saw his younger brother? They say he's even better than <laughs> Charlie. Who do you think will win their first title on clay? Daniel Medvedev. Why Daniel? Because I just love how much he hates clay. It will be funny to see. Daniel Medvedev will win his first clay title in 2023. Francis TFO, he has a title or no? If he doesn't have it, I'll go with him. I think he liked that surface. He, he played finals in Estoril. He's just a great player in general, so it's time for a title on, on clay. <laughs> Do you think we'll have a new Masters 1000 champ on clay this season? Berrettini has big chances in Madrid because his game is huge and rude everywhere on clay. But do I think it's going to happen this season? The thing is, we only have three Masters 1000s on clay, so it's not like the hardcore season where it's very long and we have a lot of, of them. So I'm going to say no. No, I don't think so. Maybe Casper Ruud. My doubles partner in India Wales, I'll go for him. <laughs> I hope so. I think everyone hopes. Uh, it can be myself or other next gens and that we are uh, closing the gap from the, from the top players. Yeah, I think so. Who do you think it'll be? Myself. Who's going to win these tournaments? Monte Carlo. Myself. Tsitsipas. Barcelona. I would say Carlos. Uh, Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz. Madrid. Maybe Arcaros as well. Rafa Nadal. Someone who serves really good because the ball goes really fast. Zverev, uh, he always likes Madrid. Me. Sasha said he would win Madrid. Sasha is full of confidence, man. I'm jealous. Rome. Rome, Rafa or Novak, I think. Because it's always between them. Novak. Novak. I go for Caspa. I hope one Italian. I, I hope uh, me, Matteo, or Yannick can, uh, can do a big results there. French Open. I'll go for Rafa there. I mean, I need to say why Rafa? After uh, how many, 18 years of winning everything on clay? Now one without Rafa. Then I'll go for Novak. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one, but uh, I would say probably the, the favorite one is uh, still Novak. Me. Myself. If I can uh, you know, do what I say, it's going to be great. I hope that, of course, we are going to win Roland Garros. <laughs>
Well, since that was recorded, Nadal and Alcaraz have pulled out of Monte Carlo with injuries, but still fascinating to hear the thoughts. And did you get the voices? They belonged to Sasha Zverev, Dominic Thiem, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev, Lorenzo Musetti, and Holger Rune. And it was interesting to hear a couple of them tip themselves, including Musetti, who's clearly playing with a lot of confidence, especially after another impressive week in Marrakesh, where he reached the quarterfinals. He could face Novak Djokovic in the third round in Monte Carlo. And that's our focus this coming week with the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters. Djokovic was barred from competing in Indian Wells and Miami because of continuing rules in America requiring all people entering the country to be vaccinated against COVID-19. So this is the world number one's first Masters 1000 tournament of the year. And his draw might be tough. He could face a run-in of Musetti, Sinner, Medvedev and Tsitsipas. In the bottom half of the draw, Tsitsipas, who's the defending champion, has a projected semi-final against Kaspar Ruud before a possible final against Djokovic. It'll be fascinating to see how the week unfolds. So that's it for this week. Thanks once again to Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, Sasha Sverev, Andre Rublev, Lorenzo Mazzetti, Holger Rune, Stefanos Tsitsipas and Dominic Team for their thoughts, and to Talon Greek Sports fitness coach Sebastian van Bentham. To keep up to date with the action, head to the ATP WTA Live Scores app. Tennis TV is the place to watch every ball live. And for more great features and video, head to the ATP website, atptour.com. I'm Chris Bowers. Thanks for listening. And join the ATP podcast team again next weekend. In the meantime, enjoy the tennis. Tennis.